Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Well, bless the Lord. Um, we are continuing in our series on Moses, and it has been a series that, obviously, we've been looking at his life, and what we're doing is we, are, we actually caught up with Moses right at, not the beginning of his life, but at the calling of his ministry. There he had that burning bush moment, and God calls him to be a deliverer to his people. Then we looked at Moses now delivering his people and coming into the Red Sea. As he comes to the Red Sea, God parts the water. They walk on dry ground. God is the one that they end up fearing and reverencing more than Pharaoh. Then we looked at Moses as a baby and we saw how the midwives, the midwives were told by Pharaoh to destroy Hebrew boys, but they ended up deciding to honor and fear God more than the Pharaoh. And now we're looking at this incredible moment. This is probably the biggest moment in Moses' life in terms of his legacy because he would go up on a mountain and meet with God and God would give him commandments And these commandments were to establish a law for the Israelites to live by, to live out their life knowing and understanding God. Now, I understand that when I talk about the law, many of you, there's a good chance you might have read um, a lot of the law in the Old Testament, praise the Lord. But I know that when we do our year-long Bible reading and we get to that part on the law and stuff, it gets a little boring, hallelujah, it gets a little challenging. And I understand that you're wondering why God's talking about not boiling goat and milk and all this stuff and not having certain fabrics woven together. And it just seems awkward and strange and you get sleepy and I know it's difficult. But what we have to understand, and this is what we lose when we're talking about law, God was establishing a nation. So he had to have actual rules with detail for them to learn how to live together because they had been living under the rule of Pharaoh, not just then, but for 400 years. The Israelites had been living under the rule of Pharaoh. And there was not only Pharaoh that established himself as a god, but there were 60 deities that they would worship. And so they had to understand how do we live with God and how do we live with one another? Now, there's something very important to point out, and as I look at these different laws, we're going to look at them from this one lens. Paulo Freire, in his book, Pedagogy of the Oppress, says this, the oppressed, instead of striving for liberation, tend themselves to become oppressors. If you grew up in an abusive home, you would think That means you know the consequences of abuse. But sometimes people themselves become abusers. If you've only known oppression, oftentimes you may become an oppressor. He says they tend to. And so sometimes the vision that you've seen is only might and strength and oppression. And here he is saying that God is going to establish a law to make sure the Israelites don't repeat what they've seen for hundreds of years. Because power corrupts people. 
The more power they get, the more corrupted they can become. So there have got to be checks on power, checks on systems. And the Israelites soon, we will see later on, they will struggle with power. And much of these commands are trying to, to suppress that base compulsion that we saw from Pharaoh. And left alone, without God, without restriction, we too would be like Pharaoh. We would have unlimited power, constantly forcing people by our hand. And so here, look at the law. Now, for my storytelling folks, this is going to be a bit academic, so take a shot of caffeine real quick, Holy Spirit, and just, because I, I, I really need to, I need to establish why the law is here, and then we're going to look at the New Testament. So keep in mind Psalm 16 and 11, you reveal the path of life to me in your presence is abundant joy at your right hand are eternal pleasure. So God is trying to get them to understand the pathway of life, how to live. Exodus 20, 2 and 3. These are the tablets that Moses has. In verse 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God. You brought me out, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Pharaoh positioned himself as a god. Pharaoh called for himself to be worshipped. And immediately what he's establishing is that there can, ev there can never come a point where you establish a god outside of me. Now it's interesting because when you look at Pharaoh, Caesar in the New Testament would do the same thing. The Caesar would be worshipped as well. So it's crazy. The superpower of the Old Testament, Pharaoh, Babylon, and in the New Testament, Caesar, all these people wanted to be worshipped like a god. What does that tell us? When men, particularly in government, are given unlimited power, they start to operate with deity-like claims. Now you apply that how you feel like you need to, praise the Lord. But power can corrupt. So here's what God is saying. God is saying, there is never going to be a God that can, you can worship like me. But here's what he's saying most importantly. You're not God. I am. And if you are not God, then no one can give allegiance to you like a God. I am the only God. Do not, and that's the key. Don't have them. Don't have anyone outside of me. Now, the other side of this is not only God not wanting them to establish worship outside of him, but also authority, that God is establishing himself as the primary authority of their community. There was a phrase that when I was a child, I said I would never say when I had kids. My parents raised me. And every now and then my mom would be like, well, you know what, because I say so. And you know what, I said, you know, when I have kids, I'm never going to say that. I'm going to teach my children. I'm not going to use those phrases. I'm going to sit down, explain, mentor. Sure. After school, 4 o'clock, do your schoolwork. After three times, I, I got no more to say. 
I brought you into this world. You know, I do all the old school stuff. I am my father, praise God. I do all that stuff. What I'm trying to tell you is ultimately we get past all the rules and regulations and we get to a person. I'm the authority. And what God is saying is that he is the authoritative voice of this community. He is establishing himself as primary, that that quote unquote, the buck stops here. That's what he is saying. That you cannot put any other establishments, rules, laws, regulations beyond my voice. No other gods except me. Then he says in Exodus 24 through 7, do not make an idol for yourself, whether in shape of anything in heavens above the earth, below in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not misuse the name of the Lord, your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses the name of the Lord. Now, I want you to look there, right there at verse 4 and then at verse 7, and there's two things that are being established there. Don't make, don't create, don't craft, don't, uh, don't craft or shape something that would indicate that God is on earth, that you can see. Don't make me. Then the other thing is don't use my name. Now, there are two things he's saying here. When you make a graven image or an idol, you're trying to establish power. And so that's what idols were about. There was some kind of power source you were trying to gain from. And so when you made a graven image, you were trying to show God is here and you're using his power and trying to establish it on earth. And in the same way, using his name. Don't use my name. We remember growing up, it was don't use my name in vain. But he's saying don't misuse my name. Again, remembering this from the context of oppression, what this is saying is people of power will misuse, misconstrue, and co-opt the name, image of God, name and image of God for their own uses, for their own power. This is going to blow your mind. But even political parties will just use God's name in order to establish power. You see, this is all part of the human condition, that we want power and will use God's name and will even craft images of him in order to establish that power. And so what God is saying is don't create an image that looks anything like me, that even resembles me. Don't misuse my name. Don't put my name on that to use my power. Again, this idea of checks and balances, throwing around the weight of God's name. You know, as a pastor, many of you possibly came in here because of church hurt, because somehow a church or Christians misused the leverage of God's voice, God's power, God's name, God's images for their own devices. One of the key things that we did early on in the church is we established what we call elders. And these elders are saying we have equality in power and that 
whether it's Rasul or Steve Cantor or Rich, they can speak in to the pastor's world so that you don't have exclusive power coming from one voice. A plurality of elders, a plurality of leadership so that one person wouldn't establish that. Humbling the heart of a leader. Because when you potentially speak on God's behalf, people will give you that honor and that reverence. And you need some people that will talk you all down that mountain. The, the Bible also talks about submitting one to another in the context of marriage. So it's important that you find, particularly those who are leaders, finding a wife that they feel they could be submitted one to another. I have found a wife that has no problem with me submitting to her, praise the Lord, that we, she worked that out very early, established that very early on in the marriage. But it's easy to throw that God weight around. It's easy to use power for your own means. So God is saying, don't co-op my name. Don't throw around the weight of my name. Then he says, Acts 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. You must not do any work. You your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident aliens who is with you in the city gates. Now, one way that we have not seen this, again, if we're using this in the context of the misuse of power, then if we look at this, it says, keep the Sabbath holy, rest on the seventh day. But notice what it says in verse 10. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male, your female servant, your livestock, your resident alien, and those who were in the city gates. Why is God saying that? Again, from where they're coming from. Because they would exploit and misuse those who serve under them and would work them to death. Why? Because that's what they came from. They only knew mastery and slavery. They only knew oppression. They only knew strength. And so he's saying, you have to have a day you rest. But you also have to establish a day where people under you rest. Because you can never get into the habit of exploitation. And yet, so this is God establishing this on earth for his own people. The human compulsion is production. It is work. And it is using people. And God establishes this early on. Then he says, honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land of the living. And I wanted to connect it also with not committing adultery. And here, just quickly, it's just showing God establishing the framework of family, how the family context and the family dynamic are to be a bedrock in society. Notice it's not saying love your wife. It's just simply saying don't commit adultery. Again, we're going to show you this, but this is not the heart of what God wants to do. He's just establishing boundaries. He's just saying don't commit adultery. Honor the authority of your father and mother, for there you have structure, husband, wife, father, mother, a structure in society, an authoritative structure placed there by God. And then in Exodus 20 and 13, do not murder because the weak and the vulnerable, they are open to violence and genocide in any society, particularly that one. Do not steal. 
goes on to say, do not covet your neighbor's house, for do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or his female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The weak and vulnerable, they're open to the exploitation of robbery that you could just come on a land and take it. For the greedy and the powerful will always do what they want. And we are called to serve, not to exploit. You see this happening even in our day with gentrification. I was uh, meeting with a pastor in East Flatbush. And as we sat down, um, we started talking about East Flatbush and East New York. And I jokingly said, you know, East New York probably won't be gentrified anytime soon. He says, why would you say that? I said, well, you know, it's further out from trains. And he told me, he said, trains don't stop people from having gentrification. People gentrify because they just want to live in a location. Nothing can stop them because they have money and they have power. Greed is what drives them. And I was like, well, nobody wants to live there. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised what greed can do. Don't be surprised. On the block I lived on in Park Slope, Park Slope was a bipolar community, called it. You had people who grew up on the block, and then you had people from Nebraska, praise God. <laughs> and I lived in the apartment with the people from Nebraska, but I could kick it with people on the block. And it was this weird thing because I would sit there on my stoop, and the folks from the block would come over, and I would start laughing and joking. But folks from Nebraska would come out the apartment and be like, hey, get off my stoop. And so they would call the cops, and there would be this big brouhaha. And then once they left, then the folks from the block would come back over to me and talk. And they'd be like, yo, what's up with them? I'm like, ah, I don't know. Meanwhile, I just, like, had tea with them the other day. So, but let's not get into that. Um, I'm friends with, like, all of them. But the wild part is this. This is what they said to me. They're like, James, my grandfather used to be on this block, on this stoop. They came here last week. I grew up here. I've been, I've been on this stoop since I was a kid. I said, well, you know, they, they, they pay for this apartment. They said, they said, but this is not their neighborhood. This is still my neighborhood. And there's something about power that makes you think things can be yours. The spirit of gentrification is not moving in. It's just easily saying goodbye to people. It's forcing people out. It's not just moving in. And so this idea of not coveting your neighbor's house, not coveting what you don't have, not stealing, not robbing, not taking what's yours. God was establishing a nation that would look like him. And he says in Exodus 20 and 16, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, this is a very important point because, again, looking at the vulnerable and the weak, the vulnerable and the weak in a society, when they don't have a name, their credibility is shot. And when someone says something against them and they have no power, they don't have name, they don't have a name that people know, if someone of power says something against them, they're done. They have no legal protection. They have no one to speak for them. They can't afford those things. And so they would need integrity and impartiality 
They would need a judicial system that they would never feel like someone would say something false just to get gain. You look at our jails right now, the statistics say that 89%, in many counties, 89% of folks in jails are there just because of a misdemeanor. And the reason why they can't get out is because they can't make bond, meaning they can't pay to get out. But they haven't even had a trial. We don't even know if they're guilty yet. We just know someone said they did something. We just know they might have been caught doing something. But we don't know if they're guilty or not. This is the story of Khalif Browder, who was placed in jail for three years and eventually would end up committing suicide once he got out. And we're only supposed to place people in jail for 90 days for a misdemeanor, 180 days for a felony. And right now, if you call 911 against someone and they're placed in jail, if you have power and they do not, you, can, you might as well say goodbye to them for the next few years. It doesn't matter if they did it or not. It is the danger of a false testimony. It's the danger of being powerless and not having someone speak for you when you can't have legal aid, when you can't have someone of credibility saying not guilty on your behalf. And he was trying to establish a society where we would never lie against someone who is vulnerable, where they couldn't speak for themselves. And God establishes these order, this ordered life, so these people would live together and honor him. And then it says in Exodus 20, a very weird thing, Exodus 20, verse 18 through 21, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. <laughs> when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said, you speak to us, and we will listen, they said to Moses. <laughs> this is what they said. But don't let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses responded to the people. And I want you to pay attention to this. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. For God has come to test you, so that you will fear him and will not sin. Notice what just happened there. Don't be afraid of God. You know, he's going to test you so that you will fear him and not sin. And there are people who remain standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God has. Don't be afraid of God. No, don't worry about God. This is God. He loves you. But listen, just be careful. The whole point of these laws is that God would be feared and revered by you. Don't fear him, but reverence him. Don't be afraid to come close, but honor and reverence his magnitude and his strength. Know his power. Know he is God. Know these laws are established so that you can have a path to life. Know God. Know his size. Um, I am not a dog lover, praise God. Um, and uh, I had a friend who had a very big dog. The kind of size dog that when you see him, you should be afraid. And no one will rob their house. 
because of the size of this dog. It's a big white dog. And I went in their house, and they said, don't be afraid of this guy. His name is fluffy, and he's great, and he's wonderful. And so I'm playing with this dog because I warmed up, because I technically don't like dogs. And like, he won't bite. I'm like, he has teeth, so this is the thing. This is what they do. But I'll play with the dog, no problem. And here we are. I'm like, okay. And then I start warming up. And I start doing things I don't normally do. I let him lick me and all this other stuff. That's not my thing, praise God. So here we are with this dog. And then something fell behind me. And I looked back and I made a quick move. And the dog like kind of leaped on me and had this look on his face. And I looked over at them and they're like, well, don't make a quick move. You know. <laughs> and I was like, What? They're like, yeah, Fluffy, you know, he kind of, it just triggers his, you know, he's a protect dog. He's really nice. But you got to be aware of what he can do, you know what I'm saying? And they're saying two different things. Don't be afraid, but be afraid. And here, God is establishing something very clear. God wants you to know his power and his strength, but he also wants you to be intimate with him. Our, these rules are established so that you would have boundaries in your life because you love to break boundaries. And you need to have some fear, a healthy fear. I grew up in the suburbs. I know some of you don't know what that's like. We had this thing called a driveway. It's this unique thing. And my mom, my mom put a chalk line two feet before the end of the driveway so that, and she told me, if you cross this line, I'm going to whoop your tail. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you come close, you play, you play with that line. I'm going to wear you out, right? And she would wear, you know, she put this white line down there, right? And then she's got this line. And what she's doing is she's saying, I want you to be afraid of crossing the line. I want you to be afraid, but I also love you. I'm trying to protect you because you are a boundary crosser. And that's you. You love to break boundaries. I know this not because I know you. I know humanity. I know life. I know my one-year-old. I'm telling you, my one-year-old daughter, the minute I say do not, something springs inside of her. Like, hey, hey, Sophia, so look, so, so hey, hey, look at me. Don't. I told, don't touch that. And, she, and I see, and then she'll just she'll start looking and wanting to go. And, and something's oozing out of her. And it is our broken state inside of us that loves to break boundaries. And God is establishing this. Now, it's important that when we look in the New Testament, we understand the purpose of the law. Why is the law being established? And when you look in the New Testament, there is this, always this debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees always are working against one another. But in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, it says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, Which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And listen to this. All the law, all those parts of the Bible, you got bored reading, praise God. And all the prophets, all that Isaiah and Jeremiah, he says all that stuff, all those texts, all those scriptures hang off of those two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. They hang off of that. Now understand this. We won't look back at it. But the Ten Commandments, if you were to break down the Ten Commandments, you would see that love is actually the extension of what God is trying to accomplish. The first four commandments are all about our vertical relationship with God, if you look back at it. The last six commandments are horizontal. They're meant to establish the relationship we have with others. So in essence, God is trying to aim our hearts and our minds towards love. But he understands he has to establish restriction. He has to establish boundary. But the ultimate goal is love. And all the law and the prophets hang off of this. And in Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, it would say, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. No way. For if, listen now, listen. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would have certainly been on the basis of the law. Well, the law can't give life. But what it says is, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Look back at that. The law could not give life, but what the law could do is expose us. And what the law really is, the law is like an MRI, and it looks at your sin-sick heart and it tells you what you're not more than what you really are. That's what the law does. The law establishes the facts that you are a boundary breaker. And you need the law because the law is not giving you life. The law is imprisoning you to sin, i.e., not to sin itself, but exposing your sin and therefore acknowledging you need a savior. Oh, you ain't all that. Oh, Oh. you know what's so cute? It's when when I have couples that um, I don't get a chance to do, like sometimes I'll marry people, but I don't really know them. And they're like, hey, we made up our own vows. I'm like, okay, and their vows are like wild. They're like, so, and they're like, I didn't get a chance to read them. So they're like standing in front of each other. It's like, girl, you know what I'm saying? I ain't never going to yell at you. I'm saying we ain't never going to go to bed at night and we ain't never going to be mad at each other. And we ain't, and I'm sitting there like, I'm in the wedding. I'm like, oh, snap. This is, (laughs) woo, this is a doozy right here, boy. Because you can't live up to that. You can't live up to it. 
And it, and it didn't even matter if they lowered it. We're going to go to a conference. That, you can't live up to it. And you know what? And I say this all the time. You, you, can't, you can't live up to a good portion of the advice you give people right now. You give people advice you don't keep. Talking about you a meat-eating vegan, praise God. I was, and then I just do meats on the weekends. Law. Law. God gave us a law. Not so that if you keep it, you are perfect or you're better, but it is to expose you. That's what the law does. And these Israelites are liars. They're adulterers. They make graven image, images. And that's why God gave them a law, to expose all that, to have this MRI exposing them. And yet later in Galatians, God was going to establish and show a day prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah, the coming of Christ. And with this prophecy, he would show what God was actually intending, what God actually wanted. And this is what he wanted. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is what the Lord says. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, the Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them. Write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And what God was saying was that when you create an external moral force to change people, it can modify their behavior, but it can't change their hearts. And the ultimate goal was not behavior modification. It was a heart change. And what's going to happen is I'm going to write my law on their heart. Now, what did Moses have on the mountain? He had tablets, right? And what happened up there? God wrote the law on the tablets. And they could look on these tablets and say, see, there goes the law. But it wouldn't affect them on the inside. And God's saying, I want to affect you on the inside. God's saying, I want to affect you on the inside. I want to affect you on the inside. And so we'll see that later in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then this is what it says. The law is not against such things. Now, when you read that, you're like, well, why would anybody make a law against love? I mean, duh. No need for a law against that. But that's not what it's getting at. When it says the law is not against such things, the idea is, is that the law is showing and is always restrictive. Laws are always trying to keep you bound against doing something. And it's saying law can't produce this. It's got to be something inside of you. The Spirit must produce that inside of you. Because all the laws do is short-term behavior modification. 
Um, any parents know that as you parent your children, you make up rules and only keep them for a week sometimes? You ever, your parents ever do that? Okay, we do it all the time. We're trying to get better. But you'll have this time where you go, we are all getting up at 6 a.m. That's what we're going to do. We're going to start getting up. We've been too late, and so we have this rule we establish, right? And we'll keep it for a while. But you know what will happen? I can get you to get up at 6 a.m., but I can't get you to have joy. I can tell you to smile, but I can't make you happy. I can tell you to do something, but I can't make it a delight. I can't work on the inside, but I can get you to do all the stuff on the outside. That's what the law does. It changes external behavior, but does not change the heart. And every Sunday at Bridge Church, we have two groups we cater to. We cater to people that are spiritual, but not religious. And we cater to people that are religious, but not spiritual. And the spiritual, but not religious, they don't want any boundaries. Don't tell me no. Don't tell me what I can't do. Don't try to guide me. I'm just here at this church trying to, you know, learn some new things from my life. You know what I'm saying? I like Jesus' wisdom. You know what I'm saying? He seems like a pretty deep guy. I like what he said about love in 1 Corinthians. I like that. I like that. I was reading some of the Proverbs. I like the Proverbs. Those are nice. And so what they want is wisdom, but they don't want life change. They're spiritual, but they're not religious. I don't want, I don't want a law. I don't want, I don't want to be told what to do. You know what I'm saying? I don't want, I want kind of like, I, I want a guide, but not a God. You know what I mean? I just. <laughs> and, and the reality is that those people really want to be their own God. You want to be your own God. You want to do your own thing. And you can sprinkle deep spiritual words on it, but at the end of the day, you don't want to be told what to do. And the scriptures, you mine the scriptures and you use the scriptures as a buffet, and you, and whatever, you put whatever's on your plate, what suits you, because you're your own God. And you want to do what you want to do. And the religious but not spiritual, you grew up in church. You know church. You know how to do church. This is the time to raise our hand. Mm, yep. You know when to say amen. You know what time to be here. You know what things to ask the pastor. You know what to do. You got all the verses down. You know all the right scriptures. You know enough scripture for us to not ask you questions. You've learned the external rules, but you hide your heart. Because you know when we dig in there, it's real messed up in there. It comes out during conflict, though. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Gets real rough. It's real toxic. And so you're religious, but you're not spiritual. 
And church, I really only have, I know this was a bit academic, but I really only have one thing to encourage you with. A relationship with God is based upon love. Our discipleship at this church is about love. Our, our hospitality team, it's about love. When we do slides, we're trying to get people to be more loving by seeing these. When we do worship, we're trying to get you to be more loving. When we preach, it's to be more loving. When we do city groups, it's that you'd be more loving. When we have servant teams, it's that you'd be more loving. When we do known campaign, it's that you'd be more loving. When we're doing social media, it's that we would establish love. That's all we're trying to do. That is it. And if we have made you think anything else, then that's my bad. And we've missed the mark. Because some can get by we won't know how deep you are. We won't know where you're at. And we can't, we don't have an MRI to look inside. You see, there's a problem that I have as the leader of the church. There's a problem that we have as disciples. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And I wonder, are you changing? Are you becoming a more loving person? Do you love people better this year than you did last year? Are you more in love with God? Do you love people more? I memorized the entire book of Philippians. Praise God. Do you love people? Do you love people? Because all of our programs, methods, preaching, and worship hang off of two things. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we've missed that mark, then shame on us. I pray that everything we do hangs off of that. Everything. Love. That's what these churches need. That's what people walk in here for. Oh, did I make you laugh? Did I, did, I, did I do something with your intellect? Did I sound smart? It won't matter if you walk away today and you feel unloved. You go back to your room, you go back to your apartment and you feel lonely. You don't feel like God, you're connected to God or people. That's what we're trying to do. I pray you feel the love of God from this church. I pray you feel the love of people from this church. And I pray you're growing as a loving person. I pray you're loving God more and loving people more. And that's the point. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make us like you. Make us like you, God. Make us like you, God. For you poured out your life on our behalf. You sent your son to die on our behalf and you died on a cross for our sins. And you did it because you said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because God loved, he gave. Holy Spirit, right now, make us loving. Holy Spirit, make us loving. Holy Spirit, make us 
loving. Make us loving. Make us love like you, God. Deepen our heart and our affection for you, God. Deepen our love for people, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray that we would just drench our hearts with the love of Jesus Christ. And pour that love out into this city. Pour that love into our city groups and into the way that we see people. Holy Spirit, change us, God. Change us, God. And let everyone at the sound of my voice have the willingness to look to God like the tax collector and say, beat their breasts and deep in their hearts want to be changed. God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I break the rules. Change me. Change me. Change us, God. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.